All right, so Sunday we spent the bulk of the class, no, we spent the whole class talking about fellowship, right? About fellowship. What is fellowship? And, and um, so I'm just going to ask, are, were there any questions or anybody want to make any additional comments about that before we get into this chapter, chapter 9 in the book? I'm not saying that you need to, but if, if anybody wanted to, feel free. No? Okay. So let's go ahead and get into chapter 9. The uh, title of this chapter is Disciplining the Disorderly, based on 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3. And we'll have some, I think, we'll probably have some good discussion in here. But I want to take just a couple minutes, and I do want to read this, um, this story. There again, I don't know if this is true, or if it's made up, or if names were changed to protect the innocent, or guilty, I'm not sure. But anyway... Um, I think it is it is one that's worth considering, and then you know we can probably make applications of this type of thing in in other things. But ultimately, it's about how do we, right? How do we as a church deal with someone who is disorderly or idle? And we'll have that discussion too here in a little bit. Let me read this though. John and Emily. John and Emily were intelligent, college-educated Christians with a lively family of six young children. In spite of their rather heavy family obligations, they tended to be a bit quirky. John was an aspiring author and preferred not to be burdened with an ordinary job so he could be free to be creative and look for his big break. He would accept employment only temporarily and when forced to do so by necessity. Since Emily was totally occupied with the children and their numerous health problems and therefore unable to work, economic hardship was a way of life. Time and again, John and Emily approached the leaders of their church for help and usually received what they requested. Although the elders and benevolence committee were somewhat put off by John's refusal to work steadily, the decision was usually made on the basis of the children. After all, it wasn't their fault that their parents were unwilling to put forth more effort to provide for them. So over a period of years, the amount of help extended into multiple thousands of dollars. This continued until John one day deserted his family and disappeared and Emily pulled away from the church, whose leaders finally concluded that their obligation to this difficult family had run its course. So, the last time I taught this class, um, or the only other time I taught the class, I taught it with Boyd. And um, Boyd actually led this discussion. And he had four questions that he brought up to the class that I thought were pretty relevant. So I'm going to just kind of ask these questions based on this story or a story that you might think of in your mind similar to it. Um, but if the elders were to come to you, what advice would you give the elders based on a story like this? What advice would you give the elders? Question two, we'll, I'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about the answers. Question two is, what things in this case would make the elder's decision difficult? Question three, what would you say should be the elder's main focus? And question four, who should elders hold most responsible? So, what advice would you give to the elders in a situation like this? You see this happening, you see this going on. Maybe they ask you for advice, maybe they don't. What advice would you give to the elders? David? 
First thing that comes to my mind, I think the scriptures are pretty clear that those who are able to work need to do so. Okay. For, I think, multiple reasons. You know, certainly to support themselves and their family. Uh, But also, it is good to work and to be busy. Uh, There's an expression, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Right. there's a lot of truth to that. Okay. That's kind of the first thing that comes to my mind. Right. Okay. Tony? Um, it's come up several times of not offering people money always. is just like a, just here, have money, and that solves the problem. Right. Uptime contributes to issues. And so finding other ways to help this family as opposed to just giving them a blank check. Right. For bills or whatever. Um, you can feed a family by having them in your home. And if more people are willing to participate with that, having them around other people, I mean, it would not, wouldn't hurt the situation. Um, and then, yeah, it's not, it's no longer a money thing. It's, well, becomes ownership in general. Right. So. Yeah, so, I mean, I think you bring up a good point because what... I'll call it a social word. What social word would we describe what the elders were doing by continually feeding them money? Enabling. Enabling, right. Yeah. Yeah. They were enabling, right? Now, I'm not saying that there wouldn't have been a time for what they did, but based on this story, it seems like that's the only thing they did, right? They just fed them money, like you said. And and having constraint, you know, not having strings attached but kind of mm-hmm. uh, just even having like you know we'll, we'll do this but you know here's things that we would hope to see from that uh, even if it isn't getting a job we had a fellow stay with us for nine months and we encouraged him not just to find another job but get himself involved with other Christians uh, there's plenty of people at church how about you involve yourself in trying to do that and the less he did that, and more of just he got a job, worked a job, the less he was involved with people and just, you know, became more and more of an issue. Right. And so, not saying that not having a job isn't a, is, is okay, but there's sometimes a time and a place that, you know, they can be helped, but maybe putting them more in, in front of people in people's way might actually be the thing they needed too. Okay, good. Good. Robin? Um, I think way before he got to this um, the story and how it supposedly ended, um, it sounds like there should have been some spiritual um, guidance in the area of in the area of finances. Sure. Some some teaching along those lines. And there's nothing mentioned about if anyone was um, um, coming alongside that family in a real spiritual way <coughs> to, to bring about a difference because um, just giving them money was not um, increasing their, their relationship with the other members or with God at all. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Frosty, were you going to say something? Uh, I was thinking that you know, maybe there could have been a discussion of or try to find a job that help him find a job that will work for him, you know, his... In his situation, can, what he wanted he, to do, he right, can, right. You know, 
continue to do what he's doing with his writing, but hmm? but still provide for his family too. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think we're all talking about it. And I think you know Robin really and, and Tony I think kind of really hit it on the head too. It keeps going back to what we talked about Sunday, right? <laughs> Ultimately, um, what advice would you have given the elders, or could we have given the elders, or would we that? we need to engage in true fellowship with these people before it gets to this point, before it got to the end point. And I think that's what Robin and Tony were really alluding to there. I think that's that's so true. And the fact that, you know, I mean, the story doesn't say that they turned their back on it and they didn't want it. So there again, if we truly have this relationship, this fellowship, this Christian fellowship, this bond in Christ with each other, and we develop it to the point where it is a core, it is the core of our life, then would, yeah, I could, you can never say never, but I think a lot of these issues would never get to the point where it ultimately did at the end, that we see at the end of this story. Craig, and then Ann. It's, it's recognizing what Jesus recognized. He, he fed the 5,000, he gave them food, and then they came back the next day expecting that. Wouldn't be fed? And, and he wanted to give them what they actually needed, which was spiritual food. And so it's, uh, I think the advice is we, we need to recognize and help provide for all of their needs. Don't, don't neglect the spiritual needs just by continuing to provide for their physical ones. Because um, you do them a disservice. Right. If all I'm going to do is make sure you have food to eat, well, at the end of the day, what am I doing for you? You've got you've got spiritual hunger that that needs to be fed. Yeah. Yeah. And um, along those lines, um, and along the lines of fellowship, one of their spiritual needs is fellowship. And when Paul says in Ephesians that people need to work, one of the reasons people need to work is so that they will have something to give. So part of coming alongside them is. You know, teaching them that their responsibility to be part of their responsibility to be working is not just to take care of themselves, but training them to have the mindset of you have responsibilities toward us and toward other people. And so you don't really have the freedom to choose not to work because mm -hmm. you have the responsibility to be contributing, not just taking. Right. Good. No, I think that's good. Mom, did you? Well, uh, it seems like the elders really dropped their the ball on uh, when she pulled away. According to this, they felt like that their obligations were over. Right. Well, <laughs> their obligations were not necessarily supposed to give them money every time, but it was honest going along with what everybody else has said. It was a spiritual thing. Right. And so poor Emily with six children, and then. The elders didn't think they had any anything else to do with them, you know. And I thought that was yeah, strange. Right. And then even, you know, I think that, yeah, I, I think this is what, what you're getting at is that part of discipline is not just when they leave, we say, well, see ya, right? That's not, that's not, right. yeah, that's not, that's not discipline. That's not trying to restore. That's not, as we're going to see in Second Thessalonians, that's not the ultimate responsibility that we have. Again, I still find it amazing. The more I study discipline, the more I see there's as much instruction to me as the one who 
was not caught in sin as there is to the one who is in sin. And I think sometimes we always want to put that focus on, it's your problem, you need to take care of it. No, I need to, I need to be the one to actually help you as well. Um, so yeah, to see the elders just walk away, and, or you know, when she walked away, say, well, good riddance, basically. And the old adage, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach him to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. So I think we kind of danced around, or not danced, I think we actually answered that second question. What things in this case would make this the elder's decision difficult? You know, the very fact that there's children involved, right? There's six kids. We're not going to let those six kids go hungry every night. Um, yeah. The man, he's not leading, so, you know, we need to support her, the wife. Um, so there's a lot of things. Emotions get involved, don't they? Emotions get involved that make these decisions difficult. And I think, I think sometimes we want to say, well, you know, it should have been cut and dry. They should have done this and this and this and this and this. Of course, we just have a little snippet of this story. We don't know all the ins and outs of everything that took place to get to this point. But emotions get involved. And we have to, number one, make sure that we don't just get rid of emotion and say emotions don't matter. But we also need to make sure that we don't say, emotions are going to rule my decisions, right? Because if emotions rule our decisions, then either things will go really, really bad, or depending on what our emotions are, they could go really, really good. But the idea is we need to let God's word rule our decisions, keep our emotions in check. And yes, they're going to affect us, they're going to affect them, they're going to affect maybe how we approach someone, um, how we feel if we're the one that has been hurt, but yet, Emotions are just that. They're emotions. They're not truth. And we need to need to remember that as well. So, yeah, emotions could get involved in this situation. So, I think, Tony, I think you brought it up. I think Robin brought it up too. Uh, I think Mom did there at the end. What would you say would be the elders, should have been the elders' main focus? Not just feeding, right? This, well, feeding, but not material food. Spiritual food. Spiritual food. Maybe, there, I mean, they're there probably would have been room for both, but it seems like they only focused on the carnal, not the spiritual. Only focused on the material, not the spiritual. And if you neglect one, you're not doing it the way God wants us to do it. There's room for both. There's room for both. All right. Because we get that backwards sometimes, don't we? Like we, we focus a lot of times on the symptom. And we're trying to solve that symptom, but we don't get to the heart of it. Right. Had they dedicated time to the whatever sinful attitude this man had that prevented him from wanting to put in a good day's work, if they had developed that and helped with that, he would have developed the right attitude and it would have fixed the physical needs. Right. Um, but instead they were just kind of whacking at this one tentacle without actually yeah. getting at the heart of it. Yeah. I mixed all kinds of analogies. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised you didn't say they just put a Band-Aid on it instead of fixing it. Yeah, I was. I was thought you were going there. I was going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> no, that worked out okay. How's your blood sugar? <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Well, let's let's go ahead and turn to Second Thessalonians. That's what this chapter is based on. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three, verses six through fifteen. 
David, do you have that opened up? What version do you have? Uh, New American Standard. Okay. Although it's the original one. I have some these and thous. These and thous, yeah. So it's what, the 1906 or what? It, what it, no. Oh, no, that's American. That was early 1900s. Yeah. This was like the new American Standard, okay. Uh, early 1960s. Okay, okay. And most of the new American Standards are like the 1995. Which is the revised, new American Standard revised, right? Yeah. yeah. Go, go ahead and read it. Okay. I, I, every once in a while I miss it, the end of that. Yeah, and I don't know if I've got any <laughs> reading or not. Six through 15. definitely do. Yeah, six through 15. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our, our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day, so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, that you might follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ, to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. And yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Okay. So, what is really interesting Here's the situation personally, and I'm just, I'm curious what you guys thought as I read his his uh, narrative in the in the book and and um, his thoughts. The question is: Is this section dealing with general disorderliness or idleness and laziness? I mean, Paul defines what he says when he says he. Uh, among you, in a disorderly manner, not working at all. So he's kind of hedged it in or hemmed it in a little bit. Yeah. By defining exactly what he's meaning by Right, it. right. So this is where, you know, and I told you this book was written by a man, right? You may totally agree with him in this. You may agree with me. You may not agree with me. My personal belief, and I'll just tell you this right up front, is that this scripture really is addressing idleness. It's addressing this story that he started this this book with. Someone who is disorderly in the manner that they will not provide for themselves or their own. Right? They're willing to take but not do. In the book he tends to say he thinks that it includes that but because the word disorderly is in there it basically includes anybody that is doing something that's that's disorderly. Um, I think there's principle that can apply. I'm not saying that the principle doesn't apply, but I think specifically, if you know, if we're going to go and say we have to have book, chapter, and verse for something, this is where we would go to get specific, because I think Paul is specifically addressing this. If someone is being lazy or being idle and not willing to work and not willing to provide for their own, and and basically demanding 
others supply their needs when they are fully capable of doing so. What are your thoughts? I didn't know. Did he didn't define though of other what else he would put under this umbrella of disorder? He didn't. He kind of left I, it kind of left it a little wide you know, open. I, I can see to a point of Paul may be talking about this, right? But it doesn't mean you can't that it wouldn't allow for extrapolation past that to maybe to other things too, right? But it's kind of like you know you got to be careful with that of like how far you take that. So like without it, I don't know what else this. I don't know what else you would cover with, right? Just general disorder. What does that even mean? Like, right. I mean, does, yeah. It, it you know does it mean someone that is um, causing faction within the group? Oh, well, that's you know? a separate chapter. <laughs> that thing is like right. We deal with that right. in a different chapter. Right. So I don't right. know what else would cover. Right. So it's I, not covered somewhere else. Yeah. Why, why, right. What right. else would you put under? So, like I said. I think the principle applies, and I think for sure we can talk about it and utilize it, but I think to say that, you know, this is where we go and this is how we handle anyone who is disorderly in any manner, I think there are other, it's like with anything in the Bible, right? We get a little snippet here, a little snippet there, a little snippet here, a little snippet there, and we can then make principle applications from various things we read. Um, so every idle person would be would could be classified as disorderly, but I don't know. Not every disorderly person would be classified as idle or lazy. David, yeah, I mean, I've heard this passage used many times to talk about general disorderliness, and you know, the question was asked, where do you get that? You know, verse six: you know, people live from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. So anything that is not in the Bible, then it falls into this. Now, I've heard that a lot, used to believe that. In more recent years, I've started wondering, does that really fit this? And I mean, I hear what you're saying, and I don't, I don't know that I disagree with you. <laughs> traditionally, <laughs> it's been looked at. No, and, you're and, right. And I've heard that. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard that. Oh, absolutely. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 This is this is one of the scriptures you go to on how we have to discipline somebody for anything, right? Right. Exactly. When there again, I think there's principles there, but I think specifically, you know, absolutely spe specifically Paul is addressing this problem. And we'll talk about 1 Corinthians 5 as well. Specifically a a a problem and the way I think that actual chapter is addressing more. Well, I think we talk about that the next one, right? is addressing more how the church was responding to that person as much as it is to the person himself. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting that, um, uh, there again, I don't know that our conclusions we become to at the end of the chapter are going to be different based on that thought, but um, I, I tend to see this chapter or, or this part of Second Thessalonians really specifically addressing this one, this one issue that was a problem. And it is a problem it's not that it's not a problem today it is the same problem today I think going back in Avon's history I think we've had that problem within the group before um, and so you know it's not like well this was a problem back then but we don't ever see this today no maybe even more so today it seems like how many help wanted signs are out there and people are just not you know and they're still collecting unemployment, you know, because they can make more money not doing something than they can going to work. It's or standing on the street corner. Or it's, yeah, money. yeah, yeah, wanting money, right? 
Robin? It seems like they were they were very concerned about making this point with these people. They said, you know, we are here, we are teaching you the scripture, we're working for you. We would have a right mm -hmm. to ask you to provide for us, but we're, we're not doing that. We're, right. we're teaching and we're working to support ourselves and feed ourselves so that you won't have a, a misconception about this. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. So, you know, not only when in reality a full-time preacher is working, right, but they were doing extra work, so there'd be no no question at all that anybody could say, well, you're not really working. All you're doing is teaching the gospel. Right? So, we could go into this whole, and I'm not going to do it, he, he, he went into this whole word of, you know, this, um, how do you pronounce it? Atactos? 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 However you pronounce it. Um, meaning undisciplined or disorderly. But I, there again, I, I don't think ultimately that is, is the, big, the, the big issue here. I just wanted to bring up that point that, um, you know, as you go through this book written by a man, he's drawing conclusions. And if you draw conclusions and they're not, you know, exactly the same, but they're still the similar principle, I don't think that it means that, that you know, one's right and one's wrong, definitely. I could see where it could start disorderly because people could be feel that that family has taken advantage of the church mm -hmm. and nothing's being done so then they're then you got talk behind these people are talking to these people and like verse 11 said acting like busybodies right you know i think it could cause it could cause disorderly. some some disorderly yeah no i can I see mean, that you know yeah so yeah yeah i can see that so, so what does Paul say? How, how should the church respond? How should the church respond? Verse 6 mentions withdrawing from every brother who walks disorderly. Okay. So one version says withdraw. What did yours say? Keep aloof. Keep aloof from. Okay. Keep aloof from. Okay. Keep away from. Keep away from. All right. Avoid. Avoid. Okay. And when you get down to verse 14, yeah. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him. Right. So that he may be put to shame. Right. So that would be another thing that the church is, is told to do. Right. I think it's interesting, though, verse, and, and I don't disagree with you at all. But verse 14, I see verse 14 as actually the beginning of the conclusion of the letter, not the conclusion of that thought. Because he says, if anyone does not obey our word in this letter, so there's a lot of things in this letter that he talked about and things that you know he said were right and wrong and so forth. So I think this would be included in that, but I don't think he's specifically saying, you know, if you don't do this to this person in, in that verse. But I think verse 6 goes right along with that as well. I think verse 6 is a little more specific um, for this particular application and situation for sure. Yeah. Even before, not in order, but before 14, before 6, think of 15, admonishing him as a brother. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So here we have two seemingly, two seemingly opposing thoughts here, just on the surface maybe, right? Keep away from, don't keep company with, and admonish him as a brother. So is the keeping away from the admonishment or is, the, is there a difference between not to keep company with or to withdraw or to be aloof to? Is there a difference between that and admonishing as your brother? What do you think? Go ahead. Verse 15 starts off, and yet do not regard him as an enemy. We tend to avoid our enemies, try not to be around them, and, but, as, but admonish him as a brother. And so I don't think it means totally stay away from, never talk to, never have any dealings with at all, because I don't think you could admonish him as a brother. Okay. I think he had, I think yeah I think you're exactly right. I want to explore that a little bit more too because he brings this up in the book that I think is probably pretty relevant. What is different in this situation and how Paul addresses it than what we see in Matthew 18? Matthew 18, remember was if your brother sins or depending on how you see it if your brother sins against you this is what you're supposed to do. So what does Paul not tell them to do? He doesn't give them the, the three steps, right? Yeah, he doesn't say, you need to go to the person, take a couple witnesses, tell it to the church. He doesn't do that. He also doesn't tell him to treat him how? As an enemy. As an enemy? Or what is it, what, how, does, how does Matthew 18 say? Treat him as a... if they. After you tell them to church, treat them as a Gentile or tax collector. Right. Gentile or tax collector. Right. Um, Well, wouldn't part of the reason that it's not the same steps is that it's not the same situation. The church already knows about all of this. This isn't, none of this is anything that's been done in secret that you need to go through. You know, certain processes so everybody, so facts are established so that, you know, reputations are preserved and, um, you know, people are are respected in that sense. Right. It's not, it's a whole different... I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, th- I think that's exactly right. Is that it's important for us to understand... I mean, the Bible has pointed it out, I mean, plainly to me, just by looking at Matthew 18 and looking at what Paul says here and looking at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, every situation is different. The end result principle that, that Paul and that Christ, and that, uh, that the, the Word is wanting us to get to is obviously restoration. But every situation is different. So not every situation is going to be cookie cutter. Every time this happens, you have to do this, 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 and this, right? Um, that's not saying that there aren't certain things that we're supposed to do and have the certain attitudes we're supposed to have and you know, keep the end result in, in mind. Um, but based on the situation in Matthew 18, personally, the way I read it, it seems to be more one-on-one. In this situation, this seems to be, as Anne suggested, 
a thing that the church is aware of, right? The church is aware of. How does the church respond? How is Paul telling them that they are to respond? A little bit different. There again, going for that same end result, this idea of restoration, but it's a different approach. Um, So I want to go back to... Oh, go ahead, Craig. When you think about how these messages were consumed in the first century, the letter would be delivered to that local congregation and typically read out loud to the collective. You know, So imagine you're in the collective and you read or you hear someone reading, for we hear that among you... We hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy by... Like, you you know there that letter's talking about me right 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 you know so Paul I think Paul is doing the initial encouragement and exhortation like hey th- this is my warning to you I'm not saying they all need to drop you like a hot potato right now but this is my warning to you this is my encouragement to you you need to work you need to be busy doing good things um, and then he kind of puts it in the hands of that local group of okay, now what are you going to do next? Those that need to listen to this instruction and change their lives, and those of you who have work to do with those people, you know, what, what are you going to do next? Um, and I think, I think we would be better served sometimes in collectively talking about these things um, a- after it's generally known. No, I think you're, I think, uh, yeah. Well, that kind of goes back to what I'm wondering in this case, uh, or in any case that is generally known, is it every individual's responsibility to admonish that person, or how 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 would we go about that? Uh, it, I don't quite understand. Uh, I understand the words, but but who's responsible to do that? All right, let's talk about what, what does the word admonish mean first, and then, then let's talk about who's responsible for it. Well, so what does that word admonish mean? I looked mean? it up in my Bible dictionary. It just says warn. To warn, okay. Okay. So if it means to warn, warn them of what? Generally warn of danger. Warn of danger, Okay. Warn somebody on maybe they're on the wrong path, right? Still relates to this idea of danger as well, right? And Paul says to the church in Thessalonica to admonish that person. So, what, so the question is, is it just the responsibility of the elders to admonish the people because they're the shepherds of the church? Or is it our responsibility, and we probably would all do it differently, right? Some maybe, maybe someone would write a note, maybe someone would make a phone call, maybe someone would just say, you know, just want to let you know I'm praying for you. What? But, but should we all feel a responsibility to that person to admonish? Robin? I was going to say that, um, and I don't know if I'm 
I, I did not look it up in a dictionary, but admonish to me carries with it a warning, but also a clarifying of what it is exactly that others are bringing to that person's attention about their <coughs> misbehavior or in whatever way it is that they're being disorderly. Okay. All right. So a warning, a clarification to make sure that they understand what the problem is. And then might we also throw in an encouragement too, to do better? Maybe too. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. Tony, were you? So what do you think? Whose responsibility is it? Heidi? Just from the comments, but also just our past lessons, I haven't been to all of them, but it depends on our relationship with that person and our fellowship with them. Yeah. I can't go to somebody that I don't know very well right. and tell them they're doing wrong. So I might write a card. So maybe everybody has some responsibility, but it is different right. because of our relationship. So, you know, I'm, I might go be able to go to one of my physical sisters, but not, you know, maybe not Craig. Maybe we're not close enough. Right. I don't know. No. Really no, I, I, yeah. Fellowship has something to do with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it also goes to our talents that God has, give, has blessed us with, right? Some people have the talent of verbal words of t going to per a person face-to-face -face and talk to them. Other people maybe don't have that talent. Maybe it is a card. Maybe it's just a, in passing, just want you to know I've been praying for you. Maybe, you know, what, whatever. But, but whatever it is, I, is there a responsibility for everyone in the collective Right. This is where this is where sometimes I think we struggle when we talk about the church and what the church, you know, maybe what the church can do, what the church can't do. And that is separating out the collective and and acting as one or individual members of the collective as representatives of the one. And so um, this idea of admonishing, he was given to the church. But I'd just still like to get some more thoughts on what you think that means. Craig? Um, I like I like the word warn. And that, that is a is a way that word can be translated. Um, if I see you getting ready to step into traffic, and if I don't say anything you're gonna get hit by a car, I'm I'm not gonna feel bad at all for warning you. There's danger. Like, and I don't, I don't feel like, I, I would feel that I'm doing you a disservice if I don't say anything. So maybe just, I don't know, changing our, our perspective of what that word actually means. I'm not so much reprimanding as I am just saying, watch out, you know? Right. Watch out, you're in danger. Right. And I think that's important because I think as we look at this and we really study this particular situation here, these people were still members of the church, right? They were still in the church. Paul was reprimanding them and talking to them because they, you had busybodies, you had people that were idle, you had people that were devout, all still together it seems, it appears to me. And so this idea of warning and admonishing 
it's not like someone has left and we have to go knock on their door and find them. We have to search out and find them to, to do this, right? This is somebody still in our midst. And then it goes back to what Heidi was saying and what we talked about all day on Sunday. This idea of fellowship. If we don't have that relationship that we should have with each other, how uncomfortable is it, unless we're just a mean person, how uncomfortable is it to go to a person and warn them if I don't really know them? If I know them, if I... We keep coming back to this. If we truly know each other, if we truly have this fellowship, would it... How often would it even get to this point, do you think? I think that's one of his points, is that it really should never get to this point. There again, never say never. But it really should never get to this point if a person truly has a heart for God or their heart is still soft enough toward God then we should be able to, before it gets to this point of not keeping company with or avoiding or withdraw from, we should be able to address this, admonish them, encourage them, and hopefully make them see that there's a hurt beyond what they can imagine if they decide to continue in this, in this uh, path that they're, going, they're on. David? You're talking about the elders, and the elders are the leaders of the flock. And so I think in this, as in pretty much everything, they would take the lead. That doesn't mean they're the only ones that would have contact with those people. And from my observations, our elders do a pretty good job of that in pointing out to us, here's here's a brother or sister who's you know struggling, and those of you who who know them, have a relationship with them, you know, please reach out to them to try to restore them. Uh, but I think it is appropriate for the elders to take a lead role in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I think... Um, You know, there's always going to be human judgment that's that's involved in all these situations, and I think that's where David going to, back to what you said, where if you know the elders are intimately involved, then hopefully some of those judgment issues will be taken care of, right? And 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 they themselves won't become problems as well. And that's that's right. Um, I have just written down here, and it goes back to what Tony said there toward the beginning of the class, but we are often anxious to help brethren physically when their greater need is spiritual. There again, doesn't mean that we are to neglect the, the physical needs. Um, there's plenty of verses that talk about that and how we are to help each other that way. But ultimately, what is their ultimate need? Is it truly physical where they just had a bad situation, their house burnt down, they couldn't help it, you know, whatever... Or is it idleness? Is it laziness? Yeah. Did he lose his job or does he just doesn't not want to work? Right. Right. And so there again, human judgment comes into play. How do we address this? What is our responsibility? How do we meet it? And then ultimately, um, what the scripture says, if things aren't corrected, what's then our ultimate responsibility at that point? And 
Okay, so we all agree that the scriptures don't, when it says do not associate with here and in 1 Corinthians 5, that it doesn't mean that, you know, you treat someone as an enemy and that you never speak to them again and you shut them out the door. Right. And if they walk in a store, you have to walk away, walk right. out, yeah. But So that's not what it means, but what does it mean? She's asking the class. <laughs> I am. I'm asking anybody who has a good answer. Oh, well, I've got bad answers, but um, <clears throat> I've seen just even just like general avoidance doesn't have to be. I have to turn my back and sh- you have to do the shame walk or anything like that. Just the fact that sometimes I might tamp down a conversation. Just you know. Uh, I can tell you information, but you know I'm not gonna be buddy buddy. We're not just gonna pal around like it. Like everything's just fine though either. Um, but that's more than just even this. That sometimes that's the interaction with family members who are wayward. You know that. Yeah. Um, so you've got a husband and wife situation, right? Yeah. Where the husband falls away. Does that then alleviate the wife of her? Duties as a wife to her husband. But I mean, yeah, it still kind of follows the same type of suit, right. though, too. Of you know, there may still be some interactions that are kind of essential, but um, you know, just just to go on carrying on, like just joking around. Oh yeah, let's just have a good time. Come on over. Let's just have a good time. Yeah. You know, right? Not the same anymore. Right. Yeah, I, I, and and this is not. This is not the answer, but one of the things that I always try to think, and, and I've, we, Russ and I have tried to do this with Cameron in our situation, is our interaction with him going to give him the impression that we condone his actions? Yeah, that's the thing right there. Isn't right? Yeah, that's what I was that we condone his actions. Um, I had that discussion. Of, like, you know, we can try to teach them bring them back, but we got to make sure that we don't condone, give them the feeling that we condone what yeah. they're doing. Yeah, yeah. You need to turn from this yeah. and come back to the Lord, right. but, you know, right. but we're not going to condone right. it. So people will ask, do we have a relationship with Cameron? And we will say, yes, we have a relationship, but it is nothing like the relationship we had before this, t- this all took place. But if I don't have a relationship with him, is there any hope for me to have an influence on him? Now, I could turn my back on him, and maybe someone else would still have a relationship with him. And, but you know what? I don't see that in the scripture. I don't see this, you're not worth, your soul is not worth my time. I don't see that in the scripture. And so... Yes, relationships, admonishing. Keep in mind, this idea is restoration. And there again, you know, we're talking about the the, the individual here. Um, is there a difference between how the individual interacts or as the church collective interacts? You know, some people will say this was written to the church. It does not have anything. And I've heard that many times over the years about people that had a wayward or an erring child and they just treat it just like no problem because they're my child, I still have obligations to my child even though they're out of the home and all of these instructions are to the church 
not to the individual. And so it doesn't apply once I'm outside the church building. <laughs> These are good thoughts. These are good questions. We are going to finish this chapter and then get into probably the most disgusting one, right? And that is the, uh, the, the one on incest uh, where the, the, the man had his father's wife, his, his mother-in-law. I don't know, stepmother, his stepmother, his stepmother. Um, so we will, we will kind of meld these two chapters together, 9 and 10, so we'll finish up 9 and go into 10 um, on Sunday. And uh, just keep thinking about these, these things, because I didn't get all the way to chapter, the end of chapter 9. There's a couple things I wanted to discuss in here. We'll do that first thing on Sunday, and then we'll get into chapter 10, which is 1 Corinthians 5. Thank you.